Hello, and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies, and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name, in case you're disappointed not to hear Mark Leonard, is Jeremy Shapiro. I'm the research director at ECFR, and Mark Leonard is on vacation, so I've used the opportunity to seize control of the podcast in an attempted coup. You will know whether this coup has worked if he returns next week. But in the meantime, we are going to talk about the French elections. Uh, last Sunday, uh, Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen were able to get the number one and number two positions in the, in the first round of the French presidential elections. And now they will compete against each other in the second round on April 24th. We have a pretty good idea, I would argue, about what a second term of a Macron presidency would look like. Um, it would uh, look a lot like uh, the first term. Um, but actually, the, the question of what uh, Marine Le Pen's foreign policy would be like, what it would mean for the European Union, what it would mean for transatlantic relations, what it would mean for the world, is, I think, a much more open question. And it is, um, unfortunately, our duty to consider the possibility that she might win the election. So what we're going to do in this podcast is talk about what her what a Marine Le Pen victory would mean for French foreign policy. Uh, to do this, we were going to have um, Tara Varma, senior policy fellow and head of ECFR's po- Paris office, uh, join us. But she's having some technical difficulties So she may join us later. But in the meantime, we are very blessed to have Agneska Bloch, who is a, uh, what am I supposed to say about this, Agneska? What is your affiliation? I am a senior research assistant at a D.C.-based think tank where I work on European affairs. It's a D.C.-based think tank. Uh, It begins with B and it ends with S and the middle of it is Rookings. (laughs) Um, But we can't say where it is for reasons I have never understood. Um, but I can assure you that she is uh, a, a, um, a an interesting thinker on the French on French on the French elections on French foreign policy, generally speaking. And she has been uh, working with Celia Berlin at the same think tank um, to um, uh, organize Twitter Spaces on the French presidential election for the last several weeks, which I think have been really insightful. Uh, so we're really glad to have her. Um, and I think it would be good if we could talk a little bit about what Marine Le Pen's foreign policy is likely to be. And, and in the first instance, I think it's, it's, it's helpful to talk about um, her attitudes towards the, the key issue of the day, which is um, Russia and the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, she has a sort of complicated relationship with Russia. Maybe you can describe it. Absolutely. And I think it's a good place to start. It's one of the things that she's really coming under fire for now more than she has been previously, because Eric Zemmour, the other far right candidate in the race, um, was really, really attacked for his relationship to Russia after saying that the war in Ukraine was distracting. Um, from other issues. Now Marine Le Pen, you know, she infamously posed for a handshake with Putin in 2017 when she was running for president and trying to boost her international credentials. This photo is now coming up more and more in the media. 
um, in Q&A, during press conferences, etc. And this photo is really representative for many people of this closeness that Marine Le Pen has with Putin and with the Kremlin and this alignment that she sees in some ways um, between her views and the views of Putin. Um, in 2017, sorry, she had declared that she shared the same values as Putin and that a new world order was emerging that was led by herself, Putin, and Donald Trump. Um, during the war um, and even, even before the invasion, she called for, of course, de-escalation and diplomacy again and again. Today, she condemns the war and the invasion, though she's spoken out against sending weapons to Ukraine. Um, and she's just trying to distance herself by saying that she's independent from foreign nations. And the background to this is that she says that the U.S. and the EU have been in a kind of cold war with Russia that she doesn't see the use of. Um, and specifically, and this kind of goes into an anti-American sentiment that we can talk more about, she stresses that France doesn't have any interest in entering into this American logic that's responsive to American interests and not French ones. Um, and Russia, she said this especially during the troop buildup that we saw um, a few months ago, that she, she saw that as a response to American provocations. Um, a line that we heard elsewhere on the political spectrum, but that was very, very prominent with her. Um, I'll also just say one last thing, though this gets into the domestic politics, which I know isn't our focus for today. But really, in talking about Russia, she's tried to refocus on the core issues that are at the heart of her platform, um, which is purchasing power and which is a response to what French people are worried about. Um, and so in that way, she's really tried to reframe the conversation on the war in Ukraine by focusing on, you know, the domestic price of sanctions for France, inflation, energy costs, cost of living, because she knows that that's what people are responsive to these days. So she's mostly focused on domestic issues. Um, but I guess what we're trying to understand is, is less what she says than what she will do. And um, so I'm just wondering from your perspective, is, is she going to change French policy toward Russia if she's elected president? I think what we've seen under Macron with these attempts at strengthening the French-Russian bilateral relationship and specifically keeping an open line with Putin is absolutely what Marine Le Pen would do. And many people call this Macron's biggest failure over the past five years, especially in the sphere of foreign policy. I think that will continue and that would be embraced. Um, by her and, and by her, her government. So I think in that particular sense, no, you know, we wouldn't be necessarily seeing um, a change. That's also because Marine Le Pen in general wants to move away from alliances. And I think we would see that um, at every turn in a Marine Le Pen mandate. She's interested in bilateral relationships, not in the European Union. And so the criticism that Macron has been on the receiving end of that, you know, he was doing this without consulting European allies, um, and that it was a bilateral, but really unilateral move on behalf of France, I think she would not um, be concerned about that criticism by any stretch of the imagination, and would go ahead and really double down on that approach. Um, she, you know, wants the kind of relationship with Russia that France would have with any great power. Um, and so I think we would see specifically a weakening of France's position within the EU when it comes to Russia, where she would veto EU sanctions or try to apply them weakly. Um, so I think, you know, in some ways there would be continuity and in others, it would really be more of what we've been seeing. I, I want to get to the U.S. relationship a little bit or, uh, later, but it seems to me that one of the key things that you said there was that she would sort of weaken the EU's approach to 
to Russia and maybe even weaken France's approach to Russia by not being European, if I understood you correctly. Um, and so to me, that brings up a question of whether she's going to form a bloc within the EU, that she might be working with uh, Hungary and Poland and other maybe emerging populist leaders um, to, to have a different perspective on the EU and on what EU policy would be. And I guess I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, is is the EU going to change her or is she going to change the EU? My guess would be that she will do everything that she can to change the EU. You're right to pick up on the fact that I think she's absolutely keen to replace or, you know, weaken as much as possible any alliance that France is currently involved in. What she wants is to focus on the idea of sovereignty and of French interests. She's constantly talking about France's independence and the fact that this has been weakened by any alliance in which it has entered. She often, often says that France would have been at the table in the context of the war in Ukraine had it not been for Europe and that Europe makes France weaker. Um, and that this 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 um, grouping, this federalist grouping of countries makes individual member states weaker. So what she wants is to replace the EU with this, you know, looser alliance of free and sovereign nations, because the concept of sovereignty is important, where each member could choose what rules it they would apply, um, especially when it comes to the rule of law, which is also something that we can talk more about. But really, the focus is to transfer power back to national governments. And she wants to organize a referendum that would give primacy of French law um, over EU law. So I definitely think Marine Le Pen would be the one changing the EU rather than vice versa. Um, I think it would be a huge blow to the EU to have a leader in such a powerful member state um, be so antagonistic to the idea of the EU, something that, of course, we've we've seen before. I mean, she's not going she wouldn't be the first um, Eurosceptic or even hostile um, to the EU within among among European leaders. Um, and that's why she's in many ways cozied up to leaders like Orban and, and Salvini. And I think we would see those ties within the EU parliament and within Europe in general strengthened. Um, but not, you know, you mentioned the idea of blocks. I don't think she's interested in, in creating blocks. I think she would absolutely want to be but, but help me help me to understand this, Ineska, though, because it's a little bit it's a little bit confusing from from the outside perspective. One gets the impression that France, more than any other country, has been able to magnify its influence through the EU. That they have a lot of, and and the other EU members complain yeah. about this all the time. That they have a lot of control over the EU. That that the EU is to a certain extent France's megaphone in foreign policy. Um, it seems like she sees it in exactly the opposite way. What is it that convinces her? She absolutely thinks that France's views have been completely watered down by the EU, and she does not approve of Macron's using of this platform to try to create a voice that is separate from France's voice. I mean, you'll just hear in their rhetoric, for Macron, France is the EU. The EU was made by France. We are the EU. Those are the kinds of things that she says, that he says, sorry. She, on the other hand, is absolutely convinced that that distinction needs to be severed and that France cannot be the powerful France um, that it should be in the world because of the European Union. And this also, I mean, has to do with her her worldview and why she thinks that we are where we are today. Um, but she has no interest in, you know, 
France speaking through an alliance that would have to take into account the perspectives of other member states, because that would absolutely force France to um, compromise its own. That, that brings us a little bit to Germany, really, because, I mean, the, the sort of key partner for France historically in the EU has been Germany. And, and arguably, and I think a lot of commentators have said this over the years, France has been able to sort of use Germany's, Germany's quietism in foreign policy and, and also its checkbook to sort of expand its influence and that the, the, that couple has worked together well because they have that sort of complementarity. How does she see the relationship with Germany? Does she see it as useful in that way? She has a kind of mixed message on Germany, but I think the basic point comes down to, I mean, this is what I was alluding to before. She talks about a politique de main libre, a free hands policy, so that France could focus on the issues that it sees as the priority, which in her view are what she refers to as Islamic terrorism, cybersecurity, and space. Those are not priorities that she sees herself working with Germany on. Um, and so she hasn't criticized Schultz directly that, that I know of, the German chancellor, but she has questioned the Franco-German relationship. And I think we would see an end to a lot of, of the cooperation between France and Germany, what there has been so far, because that's been, of course, difficult in many ways in the past. But what we have seen so far, I think, would change. And one thing that she's especially critical of is industrial cooperation with Germany when it comes to armaments, um, which she says is carried out to the detriment of our technological sovereignty, France's technological sovereignty, and France's industrial interest. Um, and so she just focuses on this, this, these diverging uh, military interests, and especially she's very critical of what she sees as Germany's pro-U.S., pro-Atlanticist bent. Um, and that's another, that's a reason that she wants to pull France out of NATO's military command structure. Uh, let's, let's, Use that segue then to uh, my favorite topic, the United States. You've said that she uh, has a sort of anti-American bent, um, which is kind of normal for French leaders. Um, uh, and it's never really meant that much in a certain way. Um, uh, there's been a certain sort of theatrical quality to French, French anti-Americanism over the years. It's, um, uh, does, she, does she mean it more? Does she, which... Would she really withdraw from the integrated military command or withdraw from NATO altogether? I think it's very possible that we could see that. She tries, you know, to reference de Gaulle, which is, of course, a figure in France that all politicians reference. Um, but when she justifies why she would want to pull, why she does want to pull France out of NATO's military command, um, she says it's for many of the same reasons that de Gaulle did. And I mean, you're right, Jeremy, to point out that it's nothing new for French politics to see anti-Americanism or anti-Atlanticism or, you know, opposition and hostility to the transatlantic relationship. So in many ways, that's not a surprise. But, you know, she really doubles down on the idea of American domination, American um, imperialistic tendencies. Um, and so I think she would do everything to try to dissociate France as much as possible um, from the U.S. And in her party program, I mean, of course, you're right to say, why would we listen to her party program? We shouldn't just take it at face value. But she does kind of point to AUKUS. Um, as a, you know, evidence that there's just this this divergence between France and the U.S. that has not served France's interests for a long time, and that really warrants more than just a rethinking, but really a separation from the U.S. Can, can we push on that a little bit? What is it that, uh, you know, it's, it's just a little bit strange from a U.S. perspective, of course, um, 
because the U.S. perspective is that France gets everything from the U.S., uh, that that uh, that the U.S. actually protects France and that France does not protect the United States. So what is it that what is it that's so pissing her off about the American relationship? What is it that America is making France do that uh, or not allowing it to do that uh, she wants to do? I think one piece that we haven't really talked about yet, but that she really does not like the U.S. approach to is China. Um, she often talks about thinking that the U.S. is far too aggressive and hawkish on China. And I think she sees France as being, you know, boxed into that and pushed into it a little bit. And so when she um, is able to talk about the Indo-Pacific and the Asia-Pacific, um, she really, really stresses France's overseas presence, its military power. She talks about wanting to develop um, France's own relationships with Japan, South Korea, um, et cetera. And she really wants to reinforce that presence um, and not follow, you know, the lead of what she very explicitly refers to as the Biden administration. Um, and then she refers again to this kind of domination of the U.S., um, not only over other powers, but specifically even its allies. And so I think she is really focused on not allowing France's foreign policy to be dictated by the U.S. Um, and so she wants equidistance with China. She wants a relationship of equals, um, so equals to equals with China to ensure that international law and maritime law, of course, France is easy um, in the Pacific is something that she talks about and its overseas population. She wants to ensure that territories in that region are respected. And it's kind of a key place where she focuses on um, the American power that she's so hostile to. You know, what's interesting about this approach is that um, it does kind of sound like the approach that a candidate would have rather than that a um, leader would have. Because uh, the reason that uh, Emmanuel Macron or Jacques Chirac or any of the last five French presidents uh, were interested in a strong role in the EU, were interested in a strong relationship with the United States, was not because they loved the situation of dependence. It was because it reflected the reality of France's position in the world, which is that it is a, a medium power in a world of, um, of large and obnoxious powers. Um, and the United States might be one of them in Marine Le Pen's view, but, but uh, Russia and China and Turkey and Germany and lots of other powers are also there um, and are at least as obnoxious as the United States. Well, maybe not Germany, but certainly Russia and China. Um, so I guess the, the question is really, is this realistic? Um, what is her answer to the point that, well, you know, you, France really doesn't have the capacity to be an Indo-Pacific power. Um, and uh, and is she actually likely to govern this way? Or how, how will this program meet reality? She is a candidate. She's not in power yet. Yeah. I think it's really hard to kind of say, oh, this is how she'll govern because she never has. And the Fondation then never has at the presidential level. Right. So it's kind of impossible to answer your question. Um, That's true, she, but answer it you know, this is <laughs> Okay, answer in any way. I mean, this is what we were, you know, worrying about in many ways when looking at the Green Party's um, foreign policy platform in Germany before they took power. It was, you know, also a question of, okay, so what happens when you actually meet... Um, 
the restraint, the constraints um, placed by actually governing. So, you know, we, we don't know what this is going to look like, but right now she's responsive to concerns. I mean, France has an inferiority complex. They, you know, we're, we're always really upset to be called a middle power. Um, and I think uh, this, the, the obsession with decline is what she's responding to right now. This fear that, you know, she, I mean, what she's reframed her narrative um, to say in, in recent years is like a very populist um, line, which is that France and many French have suffered and been on the losing end of globalization. And so in power, she's going to be trying to do everything that is anti-Macron in that sense, because her enemy is, you know, the globalist trend in the EU and globalization. Um, and so I think we would we would see a really a turn inwards and then she would be faced with what you're saying, which is the fact that France does not have um, the capacity to be an Indo-Pacific power. Not yet. Um, but she'll I, I think what we might see is a kind of dual focus. Um, and I think she might in that way, going back to your earlier question about whether the EU would change Mahindu Ben or whether Mahindu Ben would change the EU, I think she might see that in order to be um, an Indo-Pacific power and, and for France to wield power in a geopolitical sense, um, she would have to ultimately seek some kind of alliance with other European powers um, and other European powers who are interested in the Indo-Pacific, like the Germans and, and the Dutch. So, you know, the contradictions will be revealed more and more um, if she comes to govern. Um, and it's hard to say today what that will look like. But I think we'll see a lot of cutting corners on what she's saying today. Yeah, uh, one does feel like um, it, it has a sort of Trumpian feel to it in the sense that uh, right now, I remember before Trump's election, Everyone was assert, asserting that it would be a disaster. Everyone in Europe was, well, and a lot of people in the United States. Um, the day after he was elected, people were like, well, he'll be limited by the constraints of the world and by the um, uh, constraints of the American Constitution. And we'll be able to sort of navigate this because of, uh, because of the limits on his ability to act. This was what we sort of came to become the to call the adults in the room theory. Um, you would think that France geopolitically is more constrained than the United States. I wonder in terms of domestically, uh, how constrained do you think uh, a president Le Pen would be? There's a couple of different aspects to this. The, the first is whether she would have a, a legislature that was behind her and whether that, whether that matters actually for foreign policy. But then I think more speculatively, and, and I would ask you to speculate, um, the, uh, this whole sort of, let's say, deep state question. Macron was, even Macron in his, early in his, in his term was complaining about the difficulty of getting the French state to do what he wanted. And ultimately he ended up with sort of a power very concentrated in the Elysee because even he is a fairly mainstream politician, didn't really trust the uh, the French bureaucracy in a lot of ways. Um, will the French bureaucracy be able to limit her as well? Will there be a sort of deep state uh, reaction? I think we'll see constraints in a lot of different ways. Um, I think firstly, you know, she could decide to act unilaterally in many ways, um, but she would need a supportive prime minister. And this comes to your first point about the fact that she would need a legislature that, um, 
is is um, supporting her um, and a parliamentary majority to support her. So for unilateral decisions, I think she would be hugely weakened um, if she did not have a prime minister from her own party. Um, and I do think that we could in many ways see a sort of deep state, quote unquote, um, acting to to not to thwart per se, but to really limit in many ways what she would be trying to do um, in the French diplomacy um, et cetera. So we, we definitely wouldn't see the most extreme versions or not definitely, but there's a good chance that we wouldn't see the most extreme versions of what she wants to see done, not necessarily because the French people don't want it. Um, though I will note, you know, French people are Eurosceptic, but not that many want her to, um, leave the EU. Um, but I think, you know, that's definitely something that we wouldn't see, but I don't know if the deep state would necessarily um, be able to stop her from, you know, she would, she would, I'm sure, um, give a boost to far right parties, um, both, you know, at the, at the national level. And so I'm sure we would see some more success than we have seen in the past in the parliamentary elections, which are coming up in June, um, but also at the EU um, level starting in 2024. And even if the deep state you know, again, quote unquote, is not stopping, um, you know, some of the some of her rhetoric that would undermine in many ways cohesion um, at the French and EU level. Um, I think we would we would still see that eroded in many ways. I think the last policy that is, you know, really front and center in Le Pen's um, program and which is very important for French foreign policy and EU foreign policy and EU policy internally is is migration issues and and the question of even within the EU free movement. Would you expect to see major changes in French policy with regard to both external external to Europe migration and internal freedom of movement? I think she has a lot to say about internal freedom of movement within the EU, and I think that's where we would see her most um, active kind of approach to to these issues. Um, she thinks that EU countries should reintroduce border checks within Schengen, um, and while she supports free movement, she wants to limit it to EU passport holders, which is different from EU residents. Um, so I think what well, that includes that me. includes you. I almost made the joke, but I was like, no, it's, we don't need to make. Make fun of Jeremy in that way. Um, but I think, you know, she, she would really focus on um, migrants entering Europe and then wait, making sure within Europe that they're not able to enter France. I mean, we saw this already in the fall um, during the, the, the migrant crisis, quote unquote, um, at the Poland-Belarus border. Um, she, she called for French troops to be sent to, French police troops to be sent to the border. She wanted increased diplomacy with Russia um, to try to prevent this crisis from escalating further. And I mean, that was just really evocative of, of something that I think just an approach that she would continue to take um, as as president, really, really hardening the borders of the EU and especially and also the borders of France. I mean, one thing that she has done in the past five years um, is really try to soften her image and tone down the anti-immigrant rhetoric that she used to use profusely and that really um, reminds of her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, who founded the Front National and of Eric Zemmour, um, who, of course, you know, talks about 
the the threat of the great replacement, quote unquote, um, of French people, which is this racist conspiracy theory that um, people of French descent are being replaced by people of migrant descent. Those are things that Marine Le Pen doesn't talk about anymore, but that certainly if you read her program and, and listen to interviews that she does are absolutely still at the core of what she thinks. So I think this would absolutely be um, something that would be fairly core and that we would see a lot of in five years of a Marine Le Pen presidency. Okay, so her first act would be to ban me from entering France. That's I right. That a lot. Okay, well, look, that was that was really brilliant. Uh, and even though I promised you that we weren't going to talk about the the sort of uh, horse race aspects of the election, the last thing I want to know from you, and please consider your answer carefully, is she going to win or not? I don't think she's going to win, which you know, but I think it's going to be very tight and much tighter than it was in 2017. I think we're going to see a lot of abstention and I think that abstention is going to help her. So she may not win, but I think it will be very close and that makes it all the more likely that in another five years, it would be very realistic for her to win. Yeah, I will uh, go on the record and agree with you that she won't win, but the but that the story will not be written, uh, will not be ended in, uh, with this election. But of course, we could be wrong. So that's why we did this podcast. I think we only have one thing left to do, which is our bookshelf section. Uh, so Agneska, what's on your bookshelf? I really overthought this question, but this is the truth. I'm reading East West Street by Philippe Sanz, which is part memoir, part history, and explores the development of the legal concepts of genocide and crimes against humanity. Those are course, distinct. Um, genocide refers to crimes against groups, while crimes against humanity targets individuals. Um, and it's just a really captivating, both personal and historical book, and not least because of how timely it is. It doesn't sound terribly uplifting, though. Well, I didn't promise for uplifting, and you didn't ask me to do anything. That is, that is so. true. I'm just hoping that you maybe can entertain yourself a little bit more. But um, uh, I am reading... Um, one of the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante, which is a pseudonym, so I don't know her real name. Uh, it's uh, it's the first one, My Brilliant Friend. I had actually read it a few years ago, and it didn't make much of an impression on me. And um, some of my friends recently told me that I should give it another chance. And it's a fascinating exploration of female friendship, which is something I've never understood and probably never will. But I'm going to give it another shot. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, that was really a brilliant um, exposition of Le Pen's thought. And I think uh, I really appreciate you being willing to uh, do that um, without Tara. Uh, we missed her, but I think you carried the water very, very well. Um, we will put, sure, we will put a link to all the publications we mentioned on our website at ecfr.eu. If you have enjoyed uh, listening to this podcast, which I'm absolutely sure you have, Please do let other people, particularly Mark Leonard, know by writing about it on your social media page or ours. But above all, hopefully, please give us a good rating and review on whichever platform you use to download the podcast. But for now, from Agneska Blanc, from myself, Jeremy Shapiro, it is goodbye. The researcher of this podcast is Lucy Hoppenthal, and the editor of this week's episode is Marlena Wittler.